0: hello and welcome back to the baseball trade values podcast my name is joshua iverson and i'm the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com. joined as always by founder and owner john bitzer john we are like a week into the 2023 season it's been a lot of fun for me even if uh ra's aren't exactly the the prettiest baseball team you've ever seen to Uh, no surprise oh oh, absolutely (laughs) Uh, but, but otherwise i'm really enjoying the season how are you doing how are you enjoying baseball being back so
1: far so far so good i love it um a lot of interesting trends um so first of all i'm going to take my kids to see the undefeated powerhouse team the tampa bay rays played a little lia's this afternoon so i'm looking forward to that um i think the rays are going to go 162 and oh they are uh no i'm just kidding um no I, th- I i think it's um i think it's been interesting um you know, It's hard to say it's any different because we have such a small sample size. It's only been a week. Um, But, you know, it's off to a good start, particularly with the the pitch clock and the action and the stolen bases up. I love to see that stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think about the pitch clock specifically. That one seems like it's been the most, I don't want to say controversial, because I think people have, for the most part, been in favor of it. Uh, but there have been some dissenters, and I, I get where they're coming from, that it is just a different feel of baseball, and sometimes there are moments where I'm like, hey, things are moving kind of quick here, like, I didn't really get time to process that last pitch or anything. In in general, I really like it, and I think it's moving games along well. I don't want to have to sit and watch the A's get trounced for three and a half hours, two and a half hours, is a much <laughs> exactly. more favorable viewing experience for that one, uh, but but what what else what do you think about it as a whole and and kind of the pace of some of the games that you 've watched
1: I, I am I am in, strongly in favor of it. I mean, keep in mind you know i've i 've watched some minor league games and it was not an issue at all and I happen to notice the difference like last season when I took a kid to a couple minor league games. It, it was moving at a brisk pace. And at first we thought, Oh, that's cool. Maybe it's just the minor leagues. But no, we realized that was because they had already gotten used to the pitch clock. And so now I think it's just a matter of the major leaguers getting used to the same rhythm, the same the same clock. And once they do, it'll be fine. And the minor leaguers who are coming up were already used to it. So uh I'm I'm strongly in favor of it actually.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And honestly, as for the other changes, like I, I haven't really noticed The shift change as much as I the shift restrictions as much as I thought I would which is probably like the best approval I could give them right like I'm not all for MLB restricting how teams can innovate and optimize their defense and things like that like on a on like a philosophical level but as far as the viewing experience goes it has always bugged me a little bit when that grounder up the middle that hops right over the second base bag where every every single little league game you've ever played or coached or watched that's a base hit up the middle and then all of a sudden it's not because there's a guy there and, and i know that hasn't fully changed since you can kind of just stick a guy one step to the right or left of that spot and mm-hmm. they can still field that ball um but I, I think there's been a few hits that i've noticed that are like huh that, that wasn't a hit before and it's it's kind of refreshing um so so maybe not as noticeable, but I think I, so far, have enjoyed the shift restrictions a little more than I expected to.
1: Yeah, same. Um, and I just want to say, I love the fact that Glyber like, already has five stolen bases, and, you know, that's... <laughs> Um, not that he's not a fast guy, and he's still young and and speedy and everything, but but like it's it's my point is people are stealing more, and guys you may not have expected to lead the league in stolen bases are stealing more, and it's going to put a little bit more pressure on those catchers throws to second base. And now you see why you know the Braves wanted Sean Murphy behind the plate because he's he's exceptional at that. So so good catcher throwing strength is going to be important, I think, going forward
0: right i'm loving the increase in stolen bases and stolen base success rates i, I don't think it's going to stay at this level all season and I'm, that's not a a unique opinion i know a lot of people have been saying that that it's kind of a teams will going to keep pushing it keep pushing it and they're going to find that new break-even point and and they're going to start attempting at that rate and, and the success rate will kind of settle in at, at a new number but and, and so since it's still early still small sample we haven't quite found that yet i think I think my only real complaint with that is I don't like constantly having to keep track of how many times a pitcher has thrown over. I understand that, obviously, that's kind of essential for you to make the pitch clock work. If you just let the guy throw over however many times, then there's no reason for a pitch clock. They can just keep throwing over anytime they need a break. Um, and so I, I get it. But just from, like, the viewer experience, that one bothers me a little bit, that it's flashing on the screen every time. Oh, they've done two disengagements, and and now the guy's going to be running wild over there. That one bothers (laughs) me a little bit.
1: Yeah, I see your point. Disengagement is probably not the best word for that. That sounds a little Big big Brother-ish. And and I will say, you know, my 12-year-old son's Little League teams uh, or club teams, they throw over more than the pros do now. So (laughs) I'm
0: like, all right, uh, I see your point. Well, at least they might actually catch someone every now yeah, and then, right? Yeah, they will. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, in, in general, like I said earlier, I've I've enjoyed the season. I've enjoyed the rule changes. It's it, it's the the one downside maybe I'm seeing with some of the shortened times is being on the West Coast out here, um, or at least in the West Coast time zone. It's. A bit disappointing some nights when I'm checking my phone at 9, 9.30 local time and I see there's no games going on or there's one game and it's like an out away from being over. It's like, man, what happened? I'm used to having something to watch until like ten ten thirty. Yeah. Like, what, what happened to that? Same same
1: on the East Coast, actually. Like the last week's Sunday night baseball game, I think it started at 7 Eastern and it was over at like 9.15 or 9.30 and I went to 9.30 to watch the game thinking it was the old days and it was going to be going on until 11 and it was already, done. It's already over. Yeah, uh, it's certainly an
0: adjustment, but I (laughs) I think it's one. I think it's one we're getting used to. I think it's one that's probably for the better overall. And yeah, I don't think the quality of baseball—you know—the actual baseball being played on the field has decreased in the slightest. I think it's as good, if not better. Yeah. Well, cool. We don't have anything earth-shattering to get into today, since obviously teams are focused on getting their rosters right for the beginning of the season, getting everyone healthy, getting through these first couple months of the season before they think too hard about any significant trades. Uh, but we do have some kind of roster fringe type moves, trades, DFAs, cash transactions. And then uh, we also have a handful of extensions that were fairly notable from the end of spring, beginning of the season uh, that we can talk about. So I think let's just jump into all of these. It, it's nothing nothing too earth shattering on these first few transactions, but a couple a couple interesting like roster fringe type moves. We'll start with the Tigers. They acquired Zach McKinstry from the Cubs in exchange for right-handed pitcher Carlos Guzman. Uh, We had McKinstry at 0.1 million in median trade value, and Guzman at 0.2, so accepted by the model. Uh, McKinstry went to the Cubs. Uh, What was that trade? Uh, They 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 picked him up from the Dodgers last deadline. I'm stalling because I can't remember who
1: it was for. I don't
0: know if it matters. Ah, <laughs> uh, it doesn't, but it's gonna bug me. Okay, well they they picked him up from the Dodgers for someone, and I remember being like a little bit interested, but also like, hey, the Cubs have a lot of these kind of slappy utility types. I don't I don't really understand the fit here a whole lot. And then, understandably so, they. Uh, oh, I think it was Chris Martin, wasn't it? Chris Martin. Am I making that up? I might be. Um. Anyway. Look. <laughs> uh. Now he goes to the Tigers, who, again, they just kind of need any, any, any kind of offensive depth they could use, I suppose. Um, they've had a couple of injuries in camp, um, and I think they expected Nick Maton to be a bit more of a utility guy, but now he's an everyday starter because of some of those injuries, and so McKinstry is maybe just some infield, outfield depth to, to shore things up going into the season. It's, it's, none of this is rocket science with a, a minor move like this, but uh, it's at least, fairly interesting McKinstry's maybe got a little bit of something in the tank that's why we have him at 1.1 as opposed to just being in the in the point one point two point three range but uh, nothing earth chattering here by any means yeah and i just double checked. you were right
1: it was chris martin back back last uh july
0: man i have i have a weird knack and i suppose i'm in a decent line of work for this now but i have a weird knack for remembering some of those obscure little trades i wish i could use my brain for something a little more useful sometimes <laughs> Uh, yeah, anything on Zach McKinstry? Nope. Cool. On. <laughs> uh, this one may be a little bit more interesting. Um, not, not so the trade itself, but just kind of the reaction to it. Uh, the A's traded Christian Pache to the Phillies for right-handed pitcher Billy Sullivan. Uh, we had Pache at a flat zero in median trade value and Sullivan at 0.1. Uh, but this trade definitely made a lot more buzz than a zero for 0.1 trade typically does. And part of the reason for that is because the public perception of Pache is like three years behind. Uh, he's still kind of being valued a lot higher than he actually is, at least in in the public eye and the fan perception. Um, even at the time of the Matt Olsen trade, it was the same situation. He was still being touted a lot of places as this top 30 prospect. Like, whoa, he's the centerpiece of the Matt Olson trade. And he never was. It no. was always Langoliers, and then mm-hmm. after that, it was even debatable whether Pache was the second piece or if it was one of the pitchers, uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Cusick or Joey Estes, mm-hmm. because his stock fell really considerably throughout the 2021 season, and then in 2022, he went out and hit, like, 125 and couldn't hit in Las Vegas in AAA and Triple A, and now he's out of options, and so his stock has only plummeted since then, so that's why we had him at a flat zero. Out of options, the bat has not shown itself in any form i guess he had an okay spring training but it was kind of singles heavy so take that with a pretty massive grain of salt and and clearly the a's did here um from from just an organizational perspective it's a bit puzzling for the a's i guess it's it's hard to look at what they decided to do with their outfield and and come to the conclusion that they did that this was the best move for them to trade Pache for like a 24, 25 year old minor league reliever. Uh, they ended up keeping Brent Rooker on the roster who's another right-handed hitting outfielder, more of a bat over glove guy, but he had options remaining. And so it's it's a bit curious that they would keep Rooker and trade Pache. Well, first they TFA'd Pache, I think, but then trade him. Uh, no, I think I think they just straight traded him, but they but they did broadcast first that yeah, he's not making the team. We're going to look into trading him, which is mm-hmm. effectively a DFA. You're losing all of that leverage. Not now that they had a whole lot with him to begin with. But a bit odd that they they would hang on to Rooker rather than keep both guys in their system, you know, keep Pache on the 40 man or Pache on the 26 man roster in the big leagues and Rooker stays on the 40 man, gets option to AAA and he's the next man up. So that that part of it was a bit weird to me. Because even even if you are totally out on Pache's bat, there is maybe some value there from a defensive standpoint, and on the off off chance, he even kind of figures it out at the plate. It's a really exciting player, and, and you'd think a team like the A's would be taking a chance on a guy like that. But uh, So that's the only part of this that really stood out to me as, as a little bit odd, but he's a good fit for the Phillies, who need as much defensive help as they can get. So they have Brandon Marsh as their starting center fielder, and he has no type of success against left-handed pitching. Granted, neither does Pache, but you figure you could form some sort of a pseudo-platoon, late innings, defensive alignment type thing there with those two guys, and uh, it it improves the fringes of the team a little bit.
1: Yeah, so a couple thoughts here. Um, First of all... um... To your first point about like the public perception of Pache being higher than his actual value that we had, this is one of the things I'm going to, to- toot our own horn here, one of the benefits of having a, a model that has you know a uh, systematic sort of approach to things. It shows you that as time goes on and a guy's not cutting it, his value is going to go down and down, and he's, especially as he's burning options. And so, in a way, it's an objective sort of measure to say, no, he doesn't have value. And time and time again, we seem to have proven that that's the case. So, he's lost all of his trade value, in other words, to, to be traded for a marginal relief prospect, who, by the way, is Rule 5 eligible, which is also hurting his value. It's effectively a, you know, it's it's a fringe for a fringe. So, so in other words, the power of a model is to sort of uh, circumvent sort of the subjective sort of opinion that may be lingering from the past. Um, now, that said, sometimes guys do figure it out later, um, but more often than not, um, the probability is that they don't. And the A's, I know Grady Fuson, who sometimes is interviewed in, in pieces here and there, is the A's minor league director of player development or something like that. Anyway, he said, the bat's got to come. The bat's got to come. Like he typically he's an interesting interview because he pulls no punches. You can tell what the A's are thinking when he says things like that. He's like, we can't use him if the bat's not coming. And the bat clearly did not come. So they, they had to discard him. And that's also why they traded for – Estrebe Ruiz back in the uh, in the three-way Sean Murphy trade because they felt like they needed a center fielder who might have a p- potential ability to hit because they'd basically given up on Pache. So I think from all those respects, uh, uh, it makes sense.
0: And for whatever it's worth, Ruiz looks good. Um, it, it's more so the the decision between Rooker and Pache that I'm still scratching my head out about a little I mean, bit. I think in the long run, it doesn't make a difference.
1: Yeah, right. I mean Rooker has an option. Pache doesn't. Rooker has shown that he can hit. He had a 137 or Demercy plus last season uh, for the Padres Triple A affiliate. That's not bad. dual <laughs> six for a brief period in the in the Royals. In other words, he can hit. He's probably a DH because uh, he has no defensive value. But he's got an option. He can hit. So there's a little bit more there. I think.
0: Yeah, I, I was more so questioning not just keeping both of them in the organization. Uh, Option yeah. Rooker and Keep Chay. But I guess Yeah. I, I guess he has the least value possible to a team like the A's. If you are completely out on his bat, then what is a late innings defensive replacement speed guy gonna do for a team that might not win fifty games? Yeah. So I, I guess there's your argument there.
1: Yeah, and we have seen that late inning defensive guys <laughs> generally don't have much value. So yeah, even so.
0: I do like him as at least a temporary fit for the Phillies. I don't I don't think he necessarily spends the whole season on that roster. I could see him being DFA'd, bouncing around the league a little bit this year. But uh, I like him as a fit there, uh, as a team that could really use some defensive help all over the field and, and slotting yeah. him in there lets guys kind of shift around uh, and create their better defensive alignments for the late innings of games. So yeah, uh, not a, not a bad fit there for sure. I agree. Okay, so those are the only two notable player-for-player trades, uh, but we have a handful of fringe cash deals. Uh, The Mariners acquired Nick Solak from the Reds. Uh, The Royals traded Richard Lovelady to the Braves, left-handed pitcher. The Giants acquired Matt Beatty from the Royals. Uh, The Yankees got Colton Brewer from the Rays uh the diamondbacks got what is this guy's name anthony misowich i think uh from the cardinals Uh, a couple others where i don't even recognize the last name of these guys so i'm not going to go into it (laughs) um but yeah just just some minor deals yeah yeah okay (laughs) uh some minor fringe moves here guys that didn't make teams out of camp 40 mans minor league free agents that type of deal Uh, danny coulomb went to the orioles Mm -hmm. uh, from the twins uh just some just some depth moves there nothing to get too far into i guess the biggest name there is nick solak whose career has really just kind of tanked he's had trouble staying healthy and hasn't put it together in the big leagues and uh now the mariners will give him a shot so good for good for nick solak good for the mariners yeah i have nothing much to add here these
1: are all obviously fringy deals (laughs) just you know who knows what cash but these are all 0.1 guys basically so we presume the cash is a little bit you know around that area so it's fine
0: yep okay let's move into the extensions uh starting with the biggest one uh the guardians locked up andres jimenez their star second baseman who had a breakout 2022 season uh, he'll earn 106 a hundred and six and a half million dollars over his seven-year deal it's a club option for the eighth season at 23 million um i was a little bit surprised to see this get done uh i did include Andres Jimenez in my article of the potential upcoming big trade chips for the this upcoming deadline and next offseason. And I got some pushback on it, and I, I never in- included him as, as one of the top tip-top guys who would absolutely get traded. I even included some blurb in there that said, yeah, they have a middle infield logjam, but if they're going to be trading anybody, they're going to start with the Med Rosario before they mm-hmm. even think about Jimenez. And, and clearly that's the path that they're taking here. Uh, not, not necessarily that they're trading Rosario, but that Jimenez is a long-term piece for them. They got the deal done. I think it's a little bit of buying high on him. I, I think he's a good player. I think he just he might have just had his best season. Uh, maybe 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 I'm too low on Jimenez, but uh, this also isn't an exorbitant price tag for even if he does take a step back from 2022 even if he's not like a six or seven win guy if he's more in that four to five win range i think this is still a very very good deal for the guardians and a good deal for him and as considering some of his early career um, rockiness some up and down that he had as a, as a former top prospect and then he couldn't make it with the mets and then he's one of the main pieces of the Lindor trade and then doesn't quite get it going off the bat but then has this breakout 2022 season I, I think it's good for him to lock in that money um from a value perspective this did drop his value a little bit uh, he was at 46.9 and now he's at 34.7 and that's just because it's covering him into his free agent years at a closer to market rate um than arbitration was necessarily going to pay him so yeah um looks like a fair deal to me uh what do you think about this one for both him and the team
1: I love it from both perspectives, from, from the guardians perspective, you know, I look, he's only, he's still very young, right? He's, he, he's only 24 this year. Um, And typically players peak in their 27 age, 27 year thereabouts. Um, So they're buying the peak years, which is what you want to do when you're extending. And the Atlanta Braves have shown this time and time again, by extending their guys when they're young. And if you imagine that sort of, you know, career arc where they get into their prime years and then, you know, hold it for a while. I mean, they're getting, they're going to get great value out of that. Number one. Number two, he was a six war player last year as a second baseman. He can also play a great shortstop. And I think to some degree, they may be thinking ahead a little bit here. If Rosario ends up walking as a free agent next year, they can slide him in as over. I know they have many other middle infield options and prospects, uh, but he did play a darn good defensive shortstop. Uh, earlier with the Mets as well. So the fact that he's at second base almost seems like a waste of his glove to me um, because he can throw, he can make the throw from short. He can play a good short. So they maybe think he had a little bit, like they'll get even more value out of it if they slide him over. Um, so, and then from his perspective, I mean, yeah, he's still young. He's 23, 24, and he's getting paid. And we know the market for, let's say he assumes that it's going to be a second base. We know the market for second baseman is never really were that robust um so and he's one of the best second baseman out there if he sticks it second um but you know they've got to consider that um so he might have left a little money on the table but they also you know ate into that surplus a little bit more which tells you that at least if you believe our numbers that that um his agent did a good job of carving it a little getting a little bit more out of the deal typically when you're this far away from free agency you know the team has the upper hand so they typically want to save that sort of buffer of surplus value just in case so they know that going in but they ate into that a little bit so it was a good deal for him too i think it's a win-win
0: yeah uh, from a from a higher level on the guardians i i think i'm a little lower on them this year than some folks and and part of that's that i'm partial to the twins but i also just think the twins have a better roster and, and that the guardians aren't quite the team that we saw them play as last year i think they had some batted ball luck and i don't think they have the most sustainable thing going on with that lineup but I do think they're positioned really well as a franchise in the longer term between locking up Ramirez and now Jimenez and some of the prospect names on the farm some of the young players that are in the big league Stephen Kwan at the top of that list but a few other names that are starting to make their way in and and make an impact I really like the spot they're in going forward they also we're not going to get too into this i don't think too in depth on it but they also extended trevor stefan who was a rule five reliever that they picked up who's been very very good for them they gave him a four-year extension uh 10 million dollars with a 7.2 pair of club options uh worth a little bit more than 7 million uh for the fifth and sixth years of that deal Uh, so I i like what they have going from a like Couple years down the road, type perspective. I think they're still going to be competitive this year. I could honestly see, and I hadn't thought of this before. Uh, I know people have kind of pegged Ahmed Rosario to the Dodgers as a potential replacement for Lux for them. Um, but I wonder if they actually consider that pretty strongly on the Guardian side with the thought that, as you just mentioned, hey, Jimenez has such a great glove, he can just go ahead and be our shortstop at that point. We might not even miss a beat if we call up a tyler freeman or a brian rocio or one of their many other middle infield prospects and, and they hit the ground running at second base then we might be able to trade rosario for something to help the big league team in 2023 and not miss out on his production so i i don't think that's necessarily the uh, impetus for extending jimenez or anything but i wonder if that's potentially in the cards for this season as well um but yeah i think they he's just another. Long term piece for them among a group of guys that I think are going to form a pretty good long term core for this team.
1: Yeah, I do think they like Rosario. He, by all accounts, he's a good guy. He's a good clubhouse leader. He's kind of one of these, you know, glue guys on the team. So I, I get a funny feeling. I know chemistry is sort of poo pooed these days, but I get a funny feeling they don't want to break up the chemistry there with him. Um, But if they're out of it at the deadline, yeah, he's probably going to get moved because there are no dummies. Uh, But if they're in it, you know, they'll probably stick with you know their middle infield as it's at right now and see how it goes. Um, I just want to mention this. That is a really good deal for Trevor Stephan and again for the team uh, because relievers, as we saw in the off season, good ones particularly, even ones with you know slightly you know uh, smaller sample sizes and track records, are still getting paid. And so him getting paid only ten million over the course of that contract, as we have him, still leaves money on the table. We have him at eleven point eight in the surplus values. In other words, he's worth twenty one point eight for the five potential years that they have him, and that could grow even more if he has another good year. His stock will likely rise even more. So that ten million dollars is going to look pretty skimpy if he does. So that's a good. That's a good deal.
0: One last note on Rosario. I think I I find myself having to shake off the. Uh that early season small sample size reaction rust you know when we get into june july we know at that point of like okay kind of know what we're looking at here but we also know it's a half season we can't just mm-hmm. just let this inform we have to look at the full season but when we're this early in the season we're just getting back into baseball i just watched Med rosario look like pretty terrible last weekend <laughs> or, or earlier this week he he didn't look very good so maybe that's uh, staining his, his image in my mind a little bit as a as a player but i don't think that's indicative of who he is um, it's april
1: josh it's cold it, out there people aren't sure quite is. warmed up yet
0: <laughs> man they were <laughs> shivering in oakland a couple of those nights. yeah it was it was frigid i know um but on, yeah on stefan the name that comes to mind as as kind of a comparison is pete fairbanks who signed an extension earlier this offseason that was also a bit lower value but i think stefan or I, I think Fairbanks was closer to free agency by a year or two, mm-hmm. um, and it's also a little bit different. Fairbanks has been like absolutely lights out, but has had some health issues, whereas Stefan just has kind of a shorter track record, but doesn't necessarily have the health concerns. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is also a Guardians team who has or that has greatly benefited from a below market extension for Emmanuel Class A early in his career. Oh my and God! Now he what looks a... like unbelievable deal that is right now he looks like arguably the best closer in baseball and i I don't think stefan is necessarily going to be that guy but i think if if it's worked so well for you before i don't think there's any real risk here for the guardians throwing him 10 million dollars over four years and saying all right let's let's see if we can do it again yeah totally cool um let's move on from the guardians into a team that's in just a completely different spending class and and just continues to spend and spend and spend and and will (laughs) not stop and that's the Padres uh they have extended Jake Cronenworth for seven years and 80 million dollars uh this it doesn't start until 2024 so I guess I guess you can consider it an eight year 70 or eight year 80 something million dollar deal when you factor in his 2023 salary um this one caught me a little off guard. I mean, I know it's the Padres. I know they're just throwing money around. I know Cronenworth is a guy they like, but he's also already 29 and didn't have the greatest 2022 season. I mean, he's been a very productive player, but he had kind of a downstretch. Didn't quite have the power that, he's, that, he, that he had previously in his career. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you get to a point where the money just doesn't matter at all (laughs) and it's just we like this guy we like what he brings to the team we like the versatility Um, by all accounts he's like one of those baseball rat types who just like goes out and performs and and whatever you ask him to do he's gonna do it he's gonna be given that 110% effort one of those guys he used to be a pitcher he used to be a two-way player and maybe they maybe they factor that into the deal you know maybe they bring him back to the mound (laughs) Um, but yeah it, it seemed a bit odd to me Guaranteeing, you know, a, a very good player, but not not an All Star necessarily. Uh, I guess he might have been an All Star in twenty twenty two, but he but, was, yeah. yeah. But but not like a, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not viewing Jake Cronenworth correctly. Maybe I'm, uh, per, maybe I'm I have some sort of subconscious bias against him. But it seems like an odd guarantee to take him into his age thirty seven season, uh, given the type of player he is.
1: So look. I hear you. I feel the same way, but I also look at the numbers. Uh, and he's not—he's not a superstar, but he's a good player. And you, if you want a winning team, it's, you also want to lock up your good-ish players. He's a good-ish player, and I know skeptics will say, "Yeah, look at his numbers—they've gone down a little bit." His WRC plus in 2020 granted that was a short weird year 126 and then 116 and then 109 so it's going down a little bit but it's i would i would counter with that and say well look it's still above average and he's one of those guys that you know some people were surprised by dalton Varsho's valuation but he's another one's guy that does a little everything well you know his offense is he'll find he finds a way to get on base his walk rate has gone up and continues to go up so he takes good at bats he's a professional hitter it's a so on um and you know, he was 4.1 F4 of the last two years, so he's doing the, all of these things right. You can put him at second, you put him at first, whatever. Um, he can pitch if you need him to, probably won't, but he used to be a shortstop as well. So he, he's it reminds me a little bit of a, a, a DJ LeMahieu in that regard. A younger version, a slightly younger version, a healthier version. He also stays healthy, by the way. He's played 158, 152 games last two years. So he's just one of those plug-and-play guys that you can count on to keep your professional bat plays somewhere competently. And just he's a glue guy, right? And so you want those guys on your team. So I don't think they overpaid for him at, at, at all. I think – in our valuation say that he retained some surplus as well, much like we, the same point we made with a menace, although he's a younger guy, he's going to slightly, his, his, his numbers are probably going to decline as he gets into his thirties. You still got enough surplus value to kind of give yourself a buffer there. So I think it's fine.
0: Yeah. Cronenworth's value held about even. He went from, mm-hmm. let's see, where is this? I just had it. He went from 53 to 51.7 in, in median trade value on our site. Uh, so, negligible difference there um yep yeah i i think the length of it is is really what catches me off guard and like did they need to go that long but i think you know on the flip side of that maybe they wanted to go that long we kind of saw that with the xander bogart's deal maybe it's them just trying to play around the tax as much as they can spread out that aav uh, over a longer period, or spread spread out the the guarantee over a longer AAV, or over a longer period to lower the AAV. There we go, I, I got it out. <laughs> um, we get so, so maybe that's maybe that's part of what they're doing here. It seems pretty likely actually. And I, you know, it's we're talking about the Padres and all of these big money moves that they've made the last couple of years. I don't think I, I don't I don't think they make this move if they're worried it's going to stop them from locking up Soto. I I I think they know better than that. I think it's either indicative that money is no object to them, which is which is kind of the the explanation I lean toward given what they've shown us that money's no object and if they can agree with something on soto, they're gonna get it done. Uh or you could interpret it as, hey, soto's not happening, so let's use the cash in other ways. I, I lean toward the former. Not not that I necessarily have them locked in for getting something done with Soto, but it just seems like money doesn't matter it seems like it's blank checks for Peter Seidler right now and i think Soto is the logical next guy to be the recipient of that
1: i think so too and i think you're right i mean they just want to win they want to win so badly you can feel it it's coming down from the top you know and they've got excitement in san diego they're selling tickets there's everybody's talking about them there's buzz there's it's fun it's fun you got to you got to admit you know and and i love it because they're not being painting pictures about it they're saying, look, this is our shot. Padres have never won a World Series. <laughs> Let's go for it. This is, if it's if not now, then when? They've got all these stars on the team. Let's got to gotta go for it. Money doesn't matter as much. So I, I love that.
0: Yeah, I went to a couple of Padres games at Petco last year. And unfortunately, it was the first time I'd gone, so I don't really have a point of reference to compare uh, in person. But I remember all the stories of when the Giants were good, and they would go down there. To Petco and it would be at least half Giants fans just going nuts in, in the other team's ballpark as the visiting fans in the ballpark they took it over completely different vibe when I went last year these this is a baseball city now you know they've they've lost their other sports teams um, but they're ready to support the Padres and it's it's a nice ballpark it's it's you know, a beautiful ballpark and it's right downtown and the fans are into it and they're just as excited as anybody else so yeah they're it's it's great to see an owner that supports that and is also pushing in all of his chips and, and they're committed to winning the next handful of years and they don't really care how ugly it looks. I don't think Jake Cronenworth is going to be the difference maker seven years from now when we look at their payroll and and the moves that they're unable to make because they have all this money guaranteed. I don't think Cronenworth's going to be the difference maker there. I think I think there's four or five guys in line ahead of him for for that title. So yeah. uh, that's... That, is likely also factored into the thinking there
1: Yep, yeah, agreed okay
0: uh, next one up the Cardinals extended miles Michaelis uh, it's two years and 40 million dollars guaranteed uh, so 2024 and 2025 seasons Michaelis is 34 right now and we already had him as underwater we had him at negative 4.4 on his current one year uh, remaining of his deal and this actually takes him a little bit further south it brings him to negative 9.7 uh, so do the math there it's uh 5.3 yeah uh, 5.3 million uh, underwater on the new years of his contract if that makes sense so uh, he's getting 40 million dollars for those two years we expect him to be worth about 34 35 on the field um so yeah it it felt like a little bit of an overpay when it was reported the numbers support that but it's it's kind of a cardinals thing it feels like when they have their guys they're not going to let them walk they did this i'm not saying that michaelis is anywhere near the same caliber of player or caliber of impact to an organization as a guy like adam wainwright or yadier molina but we did see the cardinals similarly overpay for those guys to keep them in town the last couple years um so it seems like when the cardinals have a guy they like they're just not going to let him go Uh, He he fits the organizational philosophy very well. He doesn't miss a whole lot of bats, but ground balls, weak contact, and they have the defense to support that. And so it's it's a good marriage of player and team where they they both benefit the most from being together. And I don't think Michaelis would be as successful elsewhere, and I don't think the Cardinals would be as successful without him. So I, I think it makes sense, even even given the slight overpay, I think it makes sense to keep him in town
1: yeah i i agree with all those points and i think the cardinals in particular need to keep their decent-ish pitchers because they really don't have much um you know they're they're the kind of you know their rotation is a little on the light side in terms of depth and there's not a whole lot of help i know liberatories in in triple and i know you know, Team is getting a lot of buzz, but, you know, there's not, you know, Wainwright is 41, 42. He's just, you know, they they need help with. So they got to lock in at least their their middle tier starter just to kind of keep some glue there. So it makes sense from that point of view, too.
0: Yeah, they kind of have a gap to bridge to get to those guys, the Hans, the Liberator, Gracefo. They have some interesting pitching prospects, but it seems like they're another year or two away. They haven't really even started to establish themselves at the big league level. So they needed. They need a few guys to bridge that gap. And uh, Jack Flaherty looks kind of rough. Mm. <laughs> I think he's also a free agent after the season, if I'm yes. not mistaken. But yeah. uh, who knows how that's going to go. He doesn't look the healthiest right now. Um, <clears> he <throat> hasn't
1: been healthy in years. He hasn't had a good year since, what, 2019 or something? Yeah. It's just,
0: you know. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm just pulling it up right now. I mean, the rest of their rotation at this current moment is Jordan Montgomery, who I think is pretty okay. But he's also a free agent after the year. And then Jake Woodford and Steven Matz. So
1: Yeah, Woodford is probably best suited in the bullpen because he had mm-hmm. some success there. Matz is, you know, was we know injured a lot. So that's it's pretty light, right? Um Wayne Wright's on the I L right now. And you know, he's it's probably in his last year before he retires if he had, I think he might have actually announced that. So yeah, so they need help. So they might as well lock in their one guy who they can count on.
0: Yeah, I, I think the more I look into this, and the more I see their depth charts, and that there is a pretty notable gap here, I mean they got Dakota Hudson in the minors, but he was he's been pretty rough in recent years. I don't think he's he's been the healthiest either. Uh, so yeah, there there's a gap to bridge here, and it makes sense to uh to bring to, to bring Michaelis back to help them do that. And even if you know he isn't worth every penny of this, the stability that he provides is a bit of an intangible. You know they can count on him to be in the rotation making 25 30 starts a year and if they don't have many other guys in the organization they can say that about then there's like i said there's some intangible value to that i think that yeah. doesn't show up in the in the numbers yeah and
1: you know if this continues i think they're going to be buyers at the deadline assuming they're contenders you know they've got a little bit of outfield surplus and they need pitching so they'll be looking at that and not skip ahead but i can see them being pitching buying in july
0: yeah i think uh I just want to mention this. This is something we can get into on a future episode since, you know, these next couple of months, we're not expecting a whole lot of transactions. So we, we have some time to talk about other topics. Um, next year's free agent class does not look good. It's, it's Otani and then a massive gap, especially on the hitters. It goes Otani. And then like Teoscar Hernandez is probably the next best hitter. Mm-hmm. Cause guys like Machado and Devers got extended and they, they won't be on the market now. And uh, so, There's a little bit more depth on the pitching side, where you think, you know, maybe the Cardinals could play in those waters a little bit, but also they just kind of did their spending. You know, they have Goldschmidt and Arenado locked up. Arenado opted into his deal, um, and so he's there for the long haul now, and they just spent on Wilson Contreras. So maybe they, not to get too ahead of ourselves here, but I'm sure they'll need to have their eyes set on that mid-tier free agent starting pitching market Mm -hmm. you know the steven mats type guys that they've been interested in the last couple years to help them bridge over but locking in that guy right now and michaelis just kind of saves them a lot of yeah a lot of panic going into the next offseason
1: and that's a good point they got to think ahead The front office has to think beyond just this this year but like what does that next year look like as well so yeah they've got some holes to fill there but they do have an excess of i mean they're really good at developing position players and like i said um, they seem to have an excess of good hitters, so the offense is not the problem if if Dylan Carlson, who's not a bad player, two to three word player is on the bench that's that's a surplus of good players and you know they brought a walker, you know they've got some and you know even on the in, on the farm they've got some good guys, so they have the the capital and we said this even last summer when they were in the in the Juan Soto discussions they have the capital to go out and, and trade. Uh, you know, because and it's the right form of capital. It's major league ready guys, young guys who have who have potential to be even better. So and a lot of teams will want that. So they've got some firepower there.
0: Yeah. And they still have Nolan Gorman, who's kind of a guy without yeah. a position. Tyler O'Neill. There's been some tension there between mm-hmm. him and manager Oliver Malt. Uh, Ollie Marmol. It's mm-hmm. kind of a tough name to say. <laughs> Oliver Marmol. Um <laughs> but yeah there's some there was some tension there i I think it's a little overblown and i don't think they're going to immediately trade him because of it but you're right that they do have an outfield log jam and so if you need to decide between are we trading o'neill or are we trading carlson and and one of these guys who just had kind of a falling out with maybe that's the difference maker um yeah i think you're 100 percent right that on the offensive side they have too many guys for the spots that they have as is, and then some other names coming up through the minors that are gonna need a shot here soon. Um, So yeah, it would make a lot of sense for them to shift some of those resources and and turn them into starting MLB caliber starting pitching that can help them this year and going forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, staying within the division, the Cubs extended Nico Horner. It's a three-year deal, uh, $35 million guaranteed. Uh, it doesn't look like there's an option on this, but it does. Uh, as a, the the third year of that deal is a free agent year that's being bought out. Um, man, I like Horner a lot as a player, <laughs> and and maybe I don't know. I, I I when I think about him compared to Jake Cronenworth, obviously Cronenworth's a better player, uh, but I just I feel better about Horner going forward for some reason. I, I think it's the age. I think it's that he's he's more of a it. it I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I like Horner a lot. That's what I'm trying to get to. Uh, and he was a very good player for them last year. Uh, four-win guy. Doesn't have a whole lot of power, but speed, defense, contact, he kind of does it all there. He's He's got some a little bit of defensive versatility as well. Um, and now he's locked up at a pretty affordable rate. I think they really like the infield that they have with him at second base and Dansby Swanson at shortstop. I think that was a big part of why they targeted Swanson was to just have this amazing up-the-middle defense. And between the two of them, they have it locked in for a few years now. Uh, But Horner will still hit free agency at a pretty respectable age. He'll be 28, 29 uh, when he hits free agency. And I think uh, he is lined up well for another decent payday. Uh, We've talked a lot about second baseman and how they uh, might not get that, those, those big dollars that a shortstop would. But I think, you know, Horner is still pretty early in his career hasn't fully established himself as like a, as that four war guy he was in 2022, but this gives him three years to do that. And if he hits the market at age 28, 29, with a solid track record of that, and the ability to play some shortstop, if you need him to, I think that makes him really interesting, really valuable. And and like I said, could line him up for another significant deal.
1: Yeah. I like this one too. I mean, to your first point about comparing them and got feel, I mean, <clears throat> he had a four worst season last year. He had a breakout season. Nico Horner did, and so the if you visualize kind of the arc is trending up uh, with him, whereas with Cronenworth, is sort of flattish, maybe down a little bit, you know. So it's a little bit more exciting to see, you know, Horner's career track record and the fact that he was twenty five last year, so he hasn't really hit his peak yet. Now the flip side of that is you know, maybe the Cubs are buying a little bit high here, but on the other hand they're not really committing much. It's a three year deal, so it's okay. And from Horner's perspective, as you said, you know, he'll get another payday. He's basically and clearly his agent was thinking about this. You know, he's still gonna be youngish enough to get another payday. So this is basically a placeholder. Hey, get some money now. Cubs are locking in the um you know the money now because it gives him cost res- uh, cost certainty at least, and they're, he's still a little bit underpaid uh, based on our surplus. He's got 19.5 surplus, so uh, even as a second baseman, um, so they get a good deal, um, and he gets you know to go back to the market again. So I think everybody's happy, and who knows if the Cubs end up you know becoming a winner with a longer term sort of time frame, maybe he sticks around more. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I think. The Cubs are really interesting. We could spend a while talking about them and we haven't on past episodes about this. They're kinda jump starting the rebuild by getting a lot of these kinda I don't want to say mid tier players, but you know, they're not doing the rangers of it where they're jump starting the rebuild with a Corey Seeger and a Marcus Simeon. Like it's, it's been Seiya Suzuki, who's good, but not great. It's Horner, who's good, but not great. Marcus Stroman, Jamison Tyone, good, but not great. They're kind of filling in the yeah. rest of the roster and waiting for those superstars to make it to the bigs. I mean, you, can, you could debate about Dansby Swanson, whether he's a superstar at this point or whether he just had one big year in 2022 and he's going to come back down a little bit after. But it's a different approach and it's really interesting and Horner is just another another piece of that who's along those lines of maybe you're not going to pencil him in for four wins every season but he seems like a higher floor type who could pretty reasonably be expected to be in that you know if he's healthy big caveat but if he's healthy could be expected to be in that at least two to three win range every year if not better and so they're just like slowly chipping away, raising their floor, raising their floor while they wait for some of their bigger prospects to make it up, and then maybe that pushes them over the top and into the playoffs it's It's an interesting strategy
1: it it is and I can see it I can see the
0: uh
1: the plan there a little bit more now, granted, they don't have necessarily a superstar on their farm unless Pete Gro Armstrong takes another you know he's really jumped in value, he's obviously got a great glove in center field or maybe the best center field prospect in the game. Um, but his bad as starting to pick up, too. So that's a big question there. Um, but they've got a few other guys, too. Kevin Alcantara, Kate Horton, Ben Brown, Brennan Davis. There's enough guys there that, from a quantity perspective, a couple of them are probably going to hit. And assuming they do hit, then you've completed your roster to some degree. You've filled it out. And then, you know, they're they're augmenting it with these sort of middle-tier guys, as you said. And then you've got a team. You know, you've got a razish team of maybe not superstars, but two to three war players all over the place. And that's a winner.
0: Yeah, and it might not be this year. I, I think you're you're hoping to see them take a couple steps forward this year. Um, I don't have it up where they finished last year, but I'm assuming it was pretty comfortably under five hundred <laughs> and and you'd want them to be closer to that so they can kind of be prepared for when some of these guys come up.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh but I, I think there's I think they're in a good spot to do that. I think they are a stronger team than they were last year, and even if they still do have guys like Eric Hosmer on the roster, <laughs> there's a lot fewer of them than there were at this time last year. And uh, you could very easily see a guy like Osmer getting replaced by Matt Mervis, who they like a lot, um, come midseason, and, and then they look like the, the Cubs of the future by the time we're, we're down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and I think to your earlier point, you know, they're probably looking ahead at the free agent market too, and not seeing a whole lot outside of Otani and making their. Decisions based on that. Okay, well, let's lock up this guy. Let's get that guy and see what we can do. And then maybe if there is some opportunity to spend more later, they will once they have a little bit more confidence in the team.
0: Right. Okay. And then last extension here. um The Braves. This one is a bit surprising as well. Uh, everything with this guy has been surprising so far this year. Uh, the Braves locked up Orlando Arcia, a uh, three-year, seven-point-three million dollar deal with a club option for 2026 um i don't know where to start with orlando arcia man it's it's been such a weird saga where he came over he he was kind of just a depth guy he was a former top prospect but never really got it going with the bat um came over in a minor deal to the braves as as just kind of depth for them and he started just killing it triple a and then last year he was like a valuable bench piece for them He, he was pretty good and then Coming into the season, you're expecting him to just be, you know, just just similar case. He's just going to be kind of the bench guy. Maybe you expect him to be a little bit more important since they lost Dansby Swanson and and von Grissom is unproven at shortstop. Uh, but then they go ahead and option von Grissom to AAA, and they say RC is our guy to start the season. And that kind of caught people off guard. And then they doubled down on it by extending him here. Uh, so far, it has very much paid off. He's off to a great start to the season. I don't know if he's good. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone does. I think the Braves might see something that, like, I think the batted ball data is is somewhat promising with him these last couple years. He did have a 104 OPS plus in 2022 as that bench guy, so it's not like this is entirely out of nowhere. Um, but man, I I like I, I'll say it again. I don't know what to make of this guy. I don't know if he's actually good. But with the kind of money they're guaranteeing, he doesn't necessarily have to be. Even if he's just a good clubhouse presence, they like the they like something in the bad, and and he can play decent defense at a few spots. Even that's if that's what he ends up being for the course of this deal, it is just utility player money anyway. So it's not, not breaking the bank by any means. But uh, yeah, what do you, what do you make of Orlando Arcia? Because I'm possibly- yeah,
1: it's very confusing, isn't it? He was good. You know, you back in his prospect ish days when he's young, he was like, okay, he, he was a good prospect, comes up, put, puts up two wars, a 22 year old, but the bat's not great. It's an 86 WRC plus. Eh, Ex Wobas are not good. Um, so you think he's a glove first guy, and then he gradually sort of declines from there. You think, all right, he's a, he's a bench, you know, depth, you know, utility guy. And that's how the Braves got him, but they must have seen something they like. But it's weird because they they were sort of in and out with him right they would drop him down or they would play him somewhere else or not really or they would bring up grissom and you know like they weren't showing any indication of confidence before and that's totally flipped that's what's so confusing it was like oh grissom's gonna be a shortstop he's working with ron washington he you know even though he hasn't played it he's working on it because we love his bat. and then they send him down and then they make arcia their guy and then they extend arcia like what where did that come from it It's completely confusing. And then if you look at the numbers of the projection systems, they all have them as a two plus war player, right? Steamer has him as a two point w- uh, war uh, year with a 105 or WC. In other words, they're believers in, in the bat being at least average, if not slightly above, plus the decent glove. So, and he's you know, a safer bet, I guess, with the glove at shortstop. That's why, the way I sort of first looked at it when they you know, announced that Grissom had gone down and that RC had gotten a job. It was still a little bit surprising. Um and then what they're getting with the bat so far, is granted, it's a small sample size, but it's off to a good start. So maybe they're seeing something. Maybe they figured something out with their with his hitting coach. I don't know. Um, but suddenly he looks like the guy out of nowhere, <laughs> and now. That has to be couched in historic terms because, you know, this is a guy who since 2016 has put a, a grand total of two and a half war that includes a little bit this year. So and all of his seasons before this were very, very fringy, marginal replacement levels. So you can't hope for too much. And he's 28, so it's not like he's a young spring chicken anymore. So it's not like he's got too much upside. But maybe there's something there they figured out. I don't know. That's all I got.
0: Maybe they just got really uncomfortable with the idea of having a starting position player that wasn't locked up to an extension. And so they just had to pull the trigger. That's (laughs) that's (laughs) my new theory. He felt left out. He was the only one out there that wasn't locked up. He was sad in the clubhouse. And so they threw him a bone. Yeah. Okay. Lock up everybody. (laughs) Nah, I I'm going to be watching this very closely this season. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I hope he's good. That would be another fun story and, and just more firepower for the Braves. They just, continue to look better and better every everything they do <laughs> but yeah it's weird it, just another pop-up guy out of nowhere and and it's interesting to see them make this type of a bet on him and like i said it's 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 utility player money anyway so you know if if he is just the same guy he's always been it's not breaking the bank but it is a commitment and i, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw that coming
1: you know, I think the main question is why. Like, they didn't really have to because he was already sort of a fringy player. Like, you know, it's not like he's in that high a demand and they had to keep him, especially if they're interested in investing in Grissom longer term. Now, Grissom's probably not a shortstop longer term, let's be honest, and he's blocked by Alves at second and he's blocked by Riley at third or wherever you put him. Maybe you put him in left eventually. I don't know what to, what you do with Grissom, and maybe that was part of the, the equation here. Um yeah, I think that's the big question. Is what do they do with Grissom now? If if they've if they've committed money to Arcia and have given him the job and so far he's looking good out there, what do they do with Grissom? I think that's the big question.
0: Yeah, and I think they're going to let that play out as long as they can. I don't think you want to trade Grissom today and then you realize, whoops, yeah. Arcia is just a just a bench <laughs> guy. He that was just a hot week. Uh, whoops, uh, can we can we get Grissom back? Yeah, yeah so and,
1: and, and to be fair, they kind of jumped the gun with Grissom's promotion last year. They He'd skipped Triple A completely. They just jumped him up. Um, so he could probably use with, do with a little more seasoning. He's still very young. Uh, obviously, he still needs to work on his defense wherever they play him a little bit. So it's a little bit of a seasoning move there with him, and he's got options.
0: Yeah, and the last thing that popped into my mind is I wonder if this is also looking ahead to the upcoming free agent market uh, because Arcia was going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And you you wonder if you know with the the very very thin offensive market, if Arcia was like a two to three WAR guy this year, I wonder if he just gets into a price range that's uncomfortable for the Braves. I'm not saying he's priced out or anything. I don't unless he goes out and is a six seven win guy. I don't think there's any chance he's. Into that territory where he'd actually be like priced out of the Braves being able to afford him, but maybe it went it would go past the point that they were comfortable paying him, and so they'd rather jump the gun on it a little bit, price him in now. Maybe you're overpaying him a bit if he is just that utility guy, but you're also paying for some upside. You're paying for the off chance that he is more than that, and you know if he puts together this two to three win season or or better, then this contract looks like a steal. Mm-hmm. as opposed to what he might have gotten as a free agent after the year. So yeah, I, I think true. there's part of that could be baked into it.
1: It could. And last point, uh, Alex Antopoulos is a fantastic GM. I, I can't put anything past him. You know, he, he clearly has more information than anybody else, and he knows what he's doing. So, you know, give him credit.
0: Right. All right. A few transactions to just fly through. Uh, Kesson Hura got DFA'd and cleared waivers and went to AAA. Uh, the Brewers decided to keep Luke Voigt. Uh, he was in camp on a minor league deal, but he agreed to a $2 million deal with a $12 million club option. Uh, no buyout on the option. So it's just, if if he's good, then they'll exercise it. If not, then he's out of town. Um, but yeah, interesting. Keston Hero, former top prospect, kind of ended up without a position. Weird, weird season in 2022 where he didn't get regular playing time. Uh, hit well for power but struck out a ton and that was kind of all he did he he has weird reverse platoon splits where he can't hit lefties um just an interesting really limited player with some upside there's something there in the bat for sure but i think his limitations are why he slipped through waivers it's he's out of options he has no real position and he can only hit he can only hit righties which is a bit odd for a right-handed hitter but yeah yeah
1: and and no one claimed him, and he's out of options, so no one wanted to – I mean, you would have thought maybe a rebuilding team like the A's or the Nats or one of those would have taken a shot, but it, it, to me the obvious thing is the, is the strikeout percentage. He struck out forty one point seven percent of the time last year, thirty nine one percent year before. That's not going to fly. I mean, that's the stat that GM's hate. They are scared to death of that high K percentage, and I think that's that's why he's he went unclaimed.
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just moving through these quickly here. The Yankees signed Franchi Cordero to a one-year major league deal uh, to be a bench outfielder for them, uh, one year, one million dollars. And as part of this, uh, Estevan Florial was DFA'd and then also passed through waivers without being claimed, uh, which which caught a lot of Yankees fans off guard. Florial was one of those top prospects. He was. Included in all of those proposals of Clint Frazier and uh, and Miguel Andujar and Estevan Florial and whoever and whoever and whoever for Mike Trout, all of those type deals, Florial was was a part of a lot of them, and and he was a top 100 prospect at one point, but it's yeah. it's since fallen. He's he looks like a bench guy at best at this point. He doesn't have any big league track record. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that yeah. he would slip through waivers, but I, I think it caught some folks off guard. Yankee fans,
1: I think, were surprised a little bit because they had heard that he was a top prospect, but clearly he hasn't been anywhere. Look, you only get so many chances, right? In our model, the clock starts ticking typically right around when you're brought up and you think, okay, well, the front office is giving this guy a shot, so let's see what he does. If he doesn't do well, they notice, and they bring him back down. Maybe they give him another shot. If he doesn't do well again, bring him back down. All of that hurts his stock and eventually you get to the point where you burn through all your options and you still haven't proven yourself and you've gotten older and that's a bad combination of things. And that's where we're at with Florio.
0: Yep. Uh, he'll stay in the system and, you know, their outfield isn't necessarily known for its health. So not, not surprising if we see him added back on and make his way back up to the big leagues, but yeah, just, just not the same guy that he used to be, or at least that he used to be perceived as. Um, Giants signed Gary Sanchez to a minor league deal. It'll pay him $4 million in the major leagues. Uh, he was kind of the last like big league quality bat left in free agency. And there weren't too many clear spots for him. A lot of the other teams that you might have speculated could use him added somebody else on a minor league deal to be like their backup catcher or their sh- timeshare or something like that. Um, I'm thinking of like the Red Sox. They-, they brought in Jorge Alfaro instead. And it seemed like Gary Sanchez could have made some sense for them. Uh, but instead, he goes to the Giants. They have a pretty weak situation at catcher. Joey Bart isn't the guy he he was touted as. He's uh, looking like a glove for strikes out a ton. I guess like a poor man's Mike Zunino at this at this current point in time, which is a bit rough um, to be a, a poor man's Mike Zunino given all of Zunino's various limitations. Um, but the the other catchers they have on, on their roster: Roberto Perez, Blake Sable, who's a catcher outfielder rule five pick who's off to a hot start to the year and then austin wins so none of these guys are going to be at least perez or wins they're not going to be blocking sanchez if he starts hitting well in the minor leagues and shows he can defend well enough behind the plate to make the big league team um but yeah it, it makes sense as a fit it's a bit interesting that gary sanchez is just down to the minor league option or excuse me minor league contract phase of his career Given where he came from and, and how good he looked when he first broke out into the into the big leagues. But that is what we're looking at right now given his defensive questions and last year he didn't really hit.
1: So I remember many years ago, um, local legend radio host Mike Francesca was asked on a talk show when uh, Aaron Judge and Great Gary Sanchez were both rookies at the same time. Somebody asked him, which one do you think is gonna have the better career? And he said and he thought about it from when he said Sanchez. <laughs> so- I can't forget that. Um anyway, he seems like another version of Joey Bart. He's all power, um terrible defensive catcher. Maybe Joey Bart's a little bit better defensively, but not much. Um strikes out a ton. So, unfortunately, you know, basically they have two versions of the same player. Um but they need a they need a guy. So, and he does have some pop. I've seen it. Um so yeah, go figure, but minor league... I'm, in a way, I'm not surprised, because he'd been declining so much, and no one really wants a bad glove catcher anymore, uh, especially with the rule changes, and, and a guy who strikes out as much. There's not a whole lot to recommend here. I think that, that the writing was on the wall.
0: Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing a report that his defense ticked up a little bit last year, but that just goes from, like, terrible to just kind of bad, so, like, that's mm-hmm. still not attractive. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if he and i'm trying to pull up his stat cast right now his baseball savant page um I, I yeah he he has a decent pop time to second base and it's just his framing has never been good he's had some issues blocking the ball um i wonder if he's a guy who's hitting this point in his career like a couple years too early right because if he had automated strike zone and he just didn't have to worry about framing he could catch he could catch for a few more years he's got a decent arm he could just focus on throwing out runners and and blocking balls when he needs to and just forget about framing entirely and i i wonder if he would be able to carve out a bit of a longer career under rules like that but uh, that's not where we are right now we're a few years away from the automated zone it seems like and so this is uh what sanchez has to settle for for now until he shows something different at the big league level
1: yep sadly is what it is for him
0: yeah all right and then I, I think that's all the news we have to get uh get through on the transaction front um very very briefly uh the major leagues and uh, major league baseball and the players association reached agreement on a minor league cba uh, and, and it seems like a pretty good deal for the minor leaguers um they're going to be significant pay raises uh whole whole bunch of stuff to get into here I'll, I'll link something in the show notes uh with all of this uh this is a bit out of our scope but seems like a good deal for the minor leaguers happy for them to get uh better better arrangements better provisions what word am i looking for um <laughs> they're gonna have better housing things like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um just just quality of life improvements for these guys which uh makes all the sense in the world when you're talking about multi-billion dollar franchises uh that that pay these players so uh, very very good for them very happy to see that um do, do you have anything on that one
1: well the trade off here is uh, well first of all i agree with you 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 know you obviously want to pay your minor leaguers a decent salary and treat them well and give them proper accommodations and all of that and also because they're your future investment it makes no sense it's never made any sense to me why a guy who you expect to be one of your future stars let's say Is treated like crap when he's in the minors. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, And multiply that by your top thirty, for example. Uh, But the trade-off here is they cut the roster size a little bit down. In other words, um, they're cutting it down to you know there's you know let's be honest there's a lot of sort of fringy roster filler org filler types of guys in the minor leagues, and they're basically saying yeah we don't need quite as many of those guys and the minor league players, associate, everybody agreed that that was, you know, the trade-off. And for better or worse, you could argue with it. You know, they're basically saying, okay, we'll invest more in the ones that actually have a future, the ones that we consider prospects. But we basically don't care about the other guys who are just sort of filling a roster spot. So it's a cold-hearted thing, but I also kind of get it.
0: Yeah, that was really the the strongest chip of leverage that the players union actually had in that regard that they could sacrifice in order to get the things that they wanted so i think it made sense to them and then from mlb's perspective it's part of their longer term crusade against the minor leagues (laughs) you could put it where a couple years ago they cut down the teams by a whole lot and and really restructured the minor leagues and then we lost a lot of minor league teams as a result of that and now they're cutting down the rosters a little bit so it's very clear what mlb wants here is they want to be paying fewer people and running fewer teams and there's there's arguments to go both ways on that but i don't i don't think that's something for us to get into right now yeah. um the last thing i wanted to mention on this episode and we can take however long we want to on this i know you have a uh, a good baseball game to get to for featuring one quality team and the oakland a's uh but i want to talk at least briefly about brian reynolds who there's been some buzz back and forth about will he, won't he, as far as an extension goes. It seemed like it was close when we were getting to opening day, and, and it even seemed like they kind of extended their window past opening day. It was it was supposed to be their deadline, but um, it seemed like they got close enough on the money. It was eight years, $106 million uh, and with a, as a backloaded deal. But the hang-up has been an opt-out. Uh, brian reynolds wants an opt-out after 2026 and the pirates so far have been refusing to give him that opt-out currently he'd be a free agent after 2025 so this would what he's proposing in his camp is proposing is that he gets his arbitration bought out as well as one free agent season guaranteed and then an opt-out and then looking at the remainder of the deal after that Um, so I I don't know where it goes from here. It seems like talks have been I don't want to say they died down because this is the kind of thing where all it takes is suddenly Jeff Passan is tweeting breaking they have a deal. But and obviously Reynolds is under team control for a while and and maybe it's just a good sign that he's even come back to the table after some of his comments throughout the off season. And maybe that's a good sign for their chances long term. But it's been a week with no real updates on this story. Uh, now that we're into the season, I wonder if we hear this uh we hear less and less about this until we get to the trade deadline and people are talking about whether he'll be traded and then we get to next off season and they revisit talks on, on an extension there if he is still in town.
1: Yeah. Um so a couple thoughts here. One I think it's less and less likely that this deal happens now because they did seem to be at an impasse and now that the season started, it seems like Reynolds camp has said they they don't really want to negotiate during the season however you don't really know what's going on behind closed doors maybe they will maybe they won't it's just hard to speculate Um, so there's that Um, but it feels to me like if i had if i had a bet on it it seems less likely and the second reason is because i think reynolds felt strongly about that opt-out and that's seems like a serious impasse and what my read of that is is that Um, You know, there's still going to be some surplus value. That's how we look at things in those years after. In other words, he thinks he would be underpaid in those sort of even in in the first couple of years of his 30s. And so he doesn't want to leave necessarily as much money on the table. Uh, That's point number one. If he can get a better deal somewhere else after 2026, at which point he will have finished his age 31 season. Still not a spring chicken anymore at that point, but young enough to still maybe get a deal as we've seen with some of these other guys lately so he might say okay i could get a bigger payday somewhere else if i'm still being underpaid by the pirates at that point and they felt strongly that they wanted to have that option and i think the other thing he worries about is the competitiveness. excuse me the competitiveness of the pirates i think he sees all the prospects coming and he sees okay all right maybe there's something here but i think there's a certain level of trust that isn't quite there and he wants to see it to believe it and so I think for those two reasons, underpaid and trust in in the organization, uh, he wanted to stick to that. And I'm not sure because from the Pirates' point of view, you know that's really just it's not gaining gaining them much because they have the leverage right now. He's got three years; these are arb years, so ne- they're not they don't have to commit to him if they don't want to. And they're really just buying out one. So I'm not it's essentially a four year deal, and I'm not sure that that really means much to them. So it feels like it's an added impasse, and I feel like um, it's less likely to be done as a result.
0: Yeah, and there is, at this point, so many ways this could go. Reynolds is off to an insane start to the season. He's at five homers in his first seven games. uh, Casual 448 batting average, 293 WRC+. plus. Uh, Obviously, tiny sample size, but... um, when you look at his past couple of years, there's the highs of the 2021 season when he had a 6.2 F4, and 2022 he took a pretty significant step back from that. He was good, but not great. His defense took a step back, 2.8 F4, and so I've theorized to this point that part of the gap here has been they just don't really know what to make of him. They don't know which of those guys he's closer to. Is he a six-win superstar, or is he a three-win average regular slightly above average regular or is it somewhere in the middle and they're not really sure where to put that line and so obviously the pirates are going to be on the conservative side they're going to lean more toward that three win guy and try to pay him like that and obviously reynolds is going to lean more toward the six win guy and try to get paid like that so it, it makes for tough negotiations obviously and and i bet both sides feel like they've already given a lot to get to this point and that the opt-out is the straw that breaks the camel's back on both of them not not to minimize it it's obviously a very big deal to both sides of it in really characterizing this deal um but I, i wonder if that's the tipping point there and i mean we could see it go any number of ways we could see reynolds continues hitting not like this but continues to have a strong season closer to his 2021 and you know, maybe that means he prices out for the Pirates and they trade him, or maybe that means that they just feel more confident and they up their offer and make a deal. On the flip side of things, maybe he takes a step back and either gets traded while he still has value, or the Pirates see that as an opportunity to pounce and they get him for a lower dollar value. So a lot of different ways this could go, but I think I agree with you that for now it's an impasse. I I, I don't think anything is happening with this in the next couple weeks, and I think it'll just continue to kind of quietly go away and then we will we'll start hearing a lot about brian reynolds in another month or two
1: yeah i think one other point is you know that six war season he played a lot of center field and he's decent you know ish at center field but you know the real baseball insiders say he's probably not a center field in the long run and lately you see him playing more and more left field and that's probably where he's going to end up especially as he ages in other words the Pirates probably don't want to pay center field prices for a guy who's probably going to end up as a left fielder. And he's even kind of a tweener as a left fielder. Like he's not a pure power hitter. You know, he's he's not like a slugger. He's a guy who does everything. Well, he has some power, but he'll he'll do a few. In other words, you're paying more for a, um, uh, Kristen Yelich in his prime comes to mind, but but he's not quite that. Um, but he's a left fielder, you know, Yelich was not a center fielder. So, but he's, he's going to be a left fielder. So, Um, So you have to sort of factor that into the price estimate as well in the longer term. And I'm not quite sure they're on the same page with that.
0: Right. His defense as a whole is just a question because I think he actually graded pretty well in center field that year and and that helped him, but it's a pretty significant step back last year. And so you really just don't know what to make of that. Um, Funny, some, some breaking news while we were on the pod, while we were recording the podcast, Uh, Roberto Perez was placed on the 60 day injured list for the Giants with a right rotator cuff strain. Uh, and they selected austin wins uh so part They're of that sanchez. is yeah part of that's that sanchez just signed yeah. a few days ago and didn't have yeah. spring training and he's still getting up to speed yeah. uh, but joey bart is also hurt i think right now they just have wins and sable as their catchers and so hey maybe maybe there's a window there for gary maybe he's yeah. making his way back sometime soon go get him gary <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that's about all i have for this week uh, do you have yep. anything else to add
1: no, I'm good. Just enjoy the baseball season while, while we have it. Um, you know, we're working on our new site, and with that, we'll come an update at some point uh, once the new site is ready. With our first update of the, probably be at the end of the month, around uh, uh, late April. So look forward to that.
0: Awesome, I certainly am. John, enjoy Tropicana Field and and all of its pleasantries. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, enjoy the game. And yeah, that'll do it for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues@gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John.